a new three-week series called Grace is Greater. God's grace is greater than what's going on around us, than the anxiety and the frustration and the worry that we face. Anybody know anybody in Florida or Houston today? Hands up all over. Can we take a few moments and pray for our friends and family, those who are already suffering in Houston and trying to dig themselves out, and those in Key West that got nailed this morning. If anybody's seen any of the videos of stuff that's going on through uh, going up the West Coast there of Florida, and we have friends all the way up the West Coast, different places, and we have friends in Houston, and churches that we spoke in when we were missionaries and on the road, and lots of friends in both of those large places. Can we just take a few moments and pray for the anxiety and, the, and, and let God's grace fill them this morning if we could. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning humbly, bowing our heads and our hearts, asking for your peace, for your grace to be upon those people in Houston and Florida and the islands in the Caribbean and Cuba and Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, both the American and the British Virgin Islands has gotten nailed so hard with Irma and those that's come right behind it with Jose. When I pray for the families that lost, lost loved ones, that you would comfort them, that your grace would envelop them and fill them with your spirit and let them sense your spirit roaming among them. Pray, Father, for the loss of income, loss of property, the loss of things, that they will be viewed as less valuable than the lives that were saved. I pray, Father God, for the response from our government, from governments who step up to help their people, that it will be swift, equitable, and faith-driven. For those who stayed behind in all these storms, Lord God, I ask just for, pray, pray for their protection. That you'd keep them above the waters, let their food and their water and their medicine hold out as they dig out of the mess, some of the messes in Houston that have already come in Louisiana. Lord, let patience rule the day. Let faith and trust in you rule the day. And let your grace be so evident in the midst of these disasters that your name will be proclaimed as glorious and wonderful in spite of the disasters. Hearts will be touched and lives saved and Soul saved, Lord, as a result of, this, of these disasters. As weird as that sounds, Lord, I pray that your salvation may reach people. That you would draw people into your kingdom. And your grace would cover their sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
This morning, as we talk about grace, we talk about an issue that's beautiful, it's, it covers the ugliness, it covers all this. It's, it's such a big issue in our, in our world. It's such a big issue. All of Scripture speaks about it, though the word is not mentioned really a whole lot. The Bible is full of God's grace. We can see it all throughout his Scripture. Those of you, one of my favorite cheers in high school. You ready? Pull out my old powder puff cheerleading days. And some of you are going, oh, please no. Regina's going, please don't do it. Please don't do it. I don't have any pictures of you to show me during my powder puff cheerleading days. I promise you. But you, G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. You ugly. Yeah, yeah, you. All right, let's try again. <laughs> you, G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. You're yeah, yeah, you're, all right, a little better. And you're going, what does that have to do? We well, see, ugliness is all in our world, is it not? There's a lot of ugliness in our world. In fact, I put together a slideshow of some of my favorite ugly things. This is David's famous collection of ugly things. You ready? You like this planet hopper? Planet hopper, isn't that pretty ugly? Then you have the other, is like this planet hopper is ugly fish. I found this in one of your fish tanks. There are ugly animals in this world, especially cats. We know that cats are ugly. This is just a small representation of what we find in people's homes. This is bats, this Mongolian death worm. There's Christmas sweaters. Every year we see the most beautiful Christmas sweaters out there. Oh, I can't wait till they come out again. You ever seen fashion shows in Paris and Germany and France? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah we don't want to even want to go there sometimes. This one on the, that was in Rich's wardrobe, actually. I found that in Rich's wardrobe. <laughs> Those of us like coffee, you know that sometimes you get some of the most beautiful coffee mugs. Even ones with Christmas sweaters on them. Oh, my goodness. Then who can forget, those of us who grew up in the 80s, who can remember the hairstyles? Any of you have these hairstyles? The hair, next one. Oh, yeah, there it is. Big hair, and the next one, the mullet. The, I don't know what that guy's doing down here. The, it looks like ear. These have been on the internet for forever. How'd you like to have your face attached to some of these hairstyles? At least they had hair, yes. Now, I had hair back then, too. I didn't have the mullet. I didn't have those kinds of things going on. There's a lot of ugly things in this world. There's a lot of gross, ugly things in this world, but one of the ugliest things in this world, that God's grace has came to cover us is sin. Would you agree? That sin is one of the ugliest things in this world. If anybody wants to copy this afterwards, you're welcome to it. It gives me nightmares just thinking about it. Sin is ugly. God's grace covers our ugliness, does he not? Romans 3.23 it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That sin which entered the world in Genesis. But even then, even when that first sin entered the world in Genesis, when Eve and Adam took of the fruit of the tree, whatever it was, they took of the fruit of the tree and they ate it, and they willfully sinned against the holy God. Even then, 
God's grace was evident. Even in that garden, we see that as God brings the curse upon mankind, God brings the curse on Adam and Eve, God brings the curse on the snake, what does he immediately follow it with? The promise of the Messiah. The promise of the Redeemer is going to come. God's grace is even there in the garden, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of sadness, in the midst of all that ugliness. God is there. Satan tricked, has tricked the world into thinking and fulfilling our own desires and thinking that what we can do for ourselves, what we provide for ourselves, is the right of beautiful expression. Satan's tricked us. And yet really what we choose to do for ourselves and our selfishness is nothing but oogliness. You know, and you ever carry a stick when you were younger and walk around going, ding, you're ugly, ding, you're ugly. I used to hit my brothers with an ugly stick. Not, sometimes not so gently. But what Satan chose to make us think is beautiful in our ability to express ourselves freely is really many times in God's eyes ugly because it's sin. And God looks upon it for what it is. Look at Romans chapter 5 with me, if you would. It says, but the free gift, I think it's up on the screen too, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the, by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Tell me Adam and Eve. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those of you who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. Think about this for a minute. Through this, through one man's sin, Adam, all of mankind was stuck in sin. It didn't say one woman's sin. Through one man's sin, all of mankind for 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years was stuck in sin. There was nothing they could do. They were, you wake up in sin, even now. We wake up in the mornings, babies are born, they're born in sin. We can do nothing. It's our nature, it's our natural inclination to sin. But Jesus came. And as through one man's sin, sin entered the world, through one man's righteous living, Righteousness was brought to all of mankind. That's what was just talking about. We just read. Through one man's righteous living, fulfilling the promise, fulfilling God's righteous requirements, righteousness was achieved for each and every one of us. God's grace reigned even in that time. God's grace reigned even in the time of Adam and Eve. God's grace reigns in us. In spite of our desire to sin, God's grace reigns in us and helps us to push through and to not follow through with our natural inclinations. How many of you would agree it's, it's hard for us to not sin? <laughs> it, it's tough. I, there are times I want to lash out with my words. I want to lash out with my actions. I want to just do my own thing because I am a selfish creature. Ask my kids, Daddy is a selfish creature. 
It's true. I admit it. Fully admit it. If I was left to my own devices without the Holy Spirit within me, without God's grace living and reigning within me, y'all would be in trouble. My family would be in trouble. This world would be in trouble. It's God's hand that holds me back. It's God's grace in my life which causes me to look upon others more important than myself. It's God's grace in my life which can reach out into someone's life who's struggling in Houston or Florida, wherever it is, and find compassion and sympathy and empathy for their situation. It's not natural for me. It's not natural for many of us to do what we do. And yet God's grace reigns in our lives. So we must develop a view of sin as God sees it. And only then will we begin to appreciate God's, truly appreciate God's grace in our lives. When you finally view sin as God views it, why was David called the man after God's own heart? King David, not this David. Though they're close. Everybody's going, wait a minute. In Scripture, David is called the man after God's own heart. He yearned for those things that God yearned for. He hurt for those things that God hurt for. He hated those things that God hated. And that's not to say that he lived a perfect life, is it? We all know David messed up royally, pun intended. He messed up big time. He messed up killing people. He was committing adultery. He was committing sins left and right. And yet he is still looked upon by God as a man after God's own heart. Because when his heart was right, when he was seeking God's face, and he was in line with God, his desires, God's desires were his desires. God's hates were his hates. Things that God wanted, he wanted. He sought God. He worshiped God. He had a faith after God and sought him first. In spite of all the bad he did, in spite of all the sin he committed in his life. You know, to me, that gives me hope. It gives me hope in my life knowing, man, I've messed up in my life. There are things I've done in my life that I wish I had never done. There are people I wish I'd never seen because they caused me, no, because I sinned as a result. There are things I've done, things I've read, things I've looked at that I should never have put myself in that situation. And I desire to be known like King David as a man after God's own heart. Not because he's my namesake, but because I desire to serve God and follow God with my whole heart, no matter what. To let his grace be so evident in my life that I can share his grace with others, that I can pull them out of the struggle of sin that they're in, because sin is ugly. It's being stuck in sin. People think they're okay. People think they're fine. But it is an ugly place to be. But when you find that ugly place, remember the grace is more beautiful. You may feel like you're stuck in an ugly place in sin, but the second point is grace is beautiful and can redeem us out of that. God's grace is greater. God's grace sometimes is best recognized, as I mentioned a minute ago. All throughout this book, there is evidence of God's grace. All throughout this book, you see evidence of the beautifulness of grace. Let's look at some stories. Let's listen to some stories and we look in God's Word. 
In John chapter 2, you see Jesus at a wedding feast. What does he do at the wedding feast? He turns the water into wine. Now, what's so great about that? Was that such a great big deal that he turned water into wine to show how beautiful grace is? Well, maybe not for the attenders, but it was for the host. It sure was for the host who had run out of wine. He'd run out of the stuff for his, his those who were attending. And now Jesus comes along and goes, he does a great, he shows his grace and his mercy right there with him. What about the lepers that he heals? Think about the lepers in the, in, the, in the New Testament. And Jesus went around for decades. Some of them had been untouched by another human being. Part of their punishment, or if you want to call it punishment, part of what they had to do as unclean people was separate themselves from the rest of society. Where they could not feel the warmth of an embrace. They could not feel another person's touch. So Jesus walks up to the lepers and he touches them. His grace, you're healed. He touches them. His miracle showed his power, but the touch showed the grace, the beautiful grace of God. His touch. What kind of touch are you needing this morning? What touch are you needing this morning? Think about the calling of the disciples. Here were 12 men who flunked out of rabbi school. See, all these rabbis, all these kids, when they were younger, they all went to the rabbi school, and they all wanted to get selected to be a disciple of one of these rabbis and to follow them around. And those that didn't get selected, those who didn't pass the test, had to go work normal jobs. So here were these men, these fishermen, these tax collectors, others, different professions, zealots, and Jesus walks up and says, follow me. Walks up to the booth of the tax collector. Follow me. He walks up to the fisherman. You follow me. Think about what was going through their minds. Here's this rabbi. We failed the test. We flunked the test. We couldn't memorize all of the first five books of the Bible. We couldn't memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. We couldn't memorize it. We flunked. And this rabbi now, years later, comes up and goes, you come follow me. You come follow me. The grace is so evident there. We're given a second chance. Anybody else want a second chance this morning? What about Zacchaeus? Take a Zacchaeus up in the tree. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Hanging out in that sycamore tree. For the Lord he wanted to see, as the Savior passes by, he looks up on the tree and says, Zacchaeus, let's go have a party at your house. <laughs> let's go sup together. Let's enjoy feasting together. Let's go, let me change your heart and change your life. This man, we don't know how tall he was, short, had to get up above in a tree so he could see. And yet Jesus stops, he runs by and he goes, come down. I'm going to your house, and we're going to enjoy food together. This man who is hated by all those around him, this man who had been despised by all those in his community because of his profession, because he was a tax collector, Jesus says there's more grace that can be found evident in your life. Think about the woman caught in adultery. 
The men bring this woman. They throw her at the feet of Jesus. And they said, the law says we must stone her. What do you say, Rabbi? (laughs) Here, we're going to catch him now. Jesus goes down on the ground. He draws something in the sand. We don't know what it was. He says, you who've committed no sin, you throw the first stone. And one by one, the stones fall, the stones fall, the stones fall. Until it's just Jesus and the woman left. And he said, woman, where's your accusers? He looks around, they're gone. He says, neither do I accuse you. But go and sin no more. God's grace. Go and sin no more. See, all these people we just talked about, when they met Jesus, they met grace personified. They weren't left the same, were they? They were healed. Their, their, their parties were rescued. Their lives were redeemed. Their reputations in the community were redeemed. They were not left the same. Jesus goes to the house of Simon the Pharisee. They're having dinner there. They're sitting down and the Pharisee doesn't even have Jesus' feet washed. In, wash, in walks a prostitute. She begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. She dries his feet with her hair. And all the Pharisees are going, oh, if he only knew what kind of woman this was, touching him, how dare he let this woman touch him? Jesus says, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. On the cross, he'd been beaten. He'd been mocked. His beard torn out, punched in the face. A crown of thorns crammed down into his scalp. And yet, what does he say? Father, forgive them. Because grace is greater. At the marriage feast, grace is greater. Zacchaeus coming down, grace is greater. Touching the leper, healing him, God's grace is greater. On the cross, grace is greater than all of our sins. Grace is greater than anything we have done to keep us out of God's presence. God's grace is greater. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 4. Let's read a few verses of one other lady whose life was touched by grace. Jesus goes to the well in Samaria. And he meets a woman. He says, give me some water. And they begin to have a discussion. She's in the heat of the day because she doesn't want to be around the others. She's ashamed of her life, of what, how she's lived her life. And look at verse 16. John chapter 4, what does Jesus say? He says, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband. Come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, You're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you, live, you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet, and our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me that the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. See, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And look what happens after Jesus touches her life and shows grace to her. He said, verse 25, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Then the disciples came back, and they marveled. He was talking with the woman, but no one said, who do you seek? Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away to the town and said to the, said to the people, come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and came to him. What happens when grace touches a person's life? What happens when the ugliness of sin that has so filled a person's life all their lives is suddenly removed and replaced with God's grace? They want to bring others to Jesus to experience that grace as well. You want to bring others to Jesus to experience the beautiful you want to bring others to experience what only God can give. See, God's grace is evident in each and every one of us here this morning. God's grace is evident in you. This isn't just for somebody else. God's grace is evident in you as well. When God's grace and mercies collide with our shame and our guilt, it's messy, but it's beautiful. Jesus knows everything you did. And he wants to make you know that his grace is greater than our sin. God knows everything you've done. He knows everything you've thought. He knows everything you've said. And his grace is greater still. How do we, where do we find God? We find God there. You find God in forgiveness, we find him in his mercy. We find God, find his grace in his character. It's there that we find God's great grace. So we know sin is ugly. We know God's grace is beautiful. Lastly, we see that God redeems all of our past and future regrets. Any of you regret some of your past? That's me, both hands. Can we admit that there's going to be things in our future as well that we're going to regret doing? There's a story in Scripture, a beautiful story, of a man called by Jesus who denies Jesus. And Jesus meets him later and brings him back and redeems their brokenness. Jonathan, go ahead and play that. If you're having trouble grasping God's grace, 
don't beat yourself up because the truth is even the disciples didn't get it Jesus Jesus I can't believe you're here I mean you're right here you're alive I mean you were dead and now you're alive you're really alive I was in the boat I wasn't catching any fish and I kept hearing somebody on the shore say throw your net to the other side and I was like thanks a lot I'm the fisherman I'm the fisherman you know and you kept repeating it repeating it so I finally threw it over there a gaggle of fish popped into that net and I kept going who could do this I look over on the shore and there you are saying it is I the Lord and here you are you're alive I can't believe you're alive you're right here yeah Peter yeah 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 do you love me? Oh, oh, Jesus, I love you with everything that I am. I mean, I can't believe you're alive. You're right here, yeah. Peter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you love me? Oh, yes, I love you with everything that I am. And I'm sorry about that rooster clucking and all that kind of stuff and running away. I'm so, so sorry. But here you are. You're alive. Peter. Yes. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you with everything that I am. I love you. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I didn't, that was a surprise to me. I didn't Peter, know. Yeah. that morning yeah. that the ladies came to the upper room. You right. remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mary, she was running up, and it sounded like she was saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm like allergic to bees. I'm like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her. She was, he, she was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. She went to the tomb, and an angel of the Lord was there. And if John says he beat me, he's lying. I beat him. I totally beat him, you know? And we... <laughs> And we get there, I'm telling you, I did, I did, I did. I mean, you know, stories, you know, he should write a book. He's so good at stories, you know what I'm saying? But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he's so good at the words. But I'm telling you, we get there, you know, and it is empty, you know. And I remember what Mary said. I mean, Mary was right there. I mean, and she said, like, something like, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. What did the angel say? said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And there you are. What did the angel say? said, go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. You said my name. After I denied you and I ran away. Why did you say my name? Why did you say my name? Peter, that's my grace. It's not about what you've done. You can't do enough. And you can't be too bad. It's not about what you've done. It's about what I just did. I say your name because I love you. Anybody else feel like Peter? I've done so much wrong in my life. I've done so much that I failed God in. I deserve his judgment. And yet, go tell the disciples and Peter that I am alive. He brings Peter back and redeems him. His past mistakes are gone not held against him because God knows what's in store. God knows the plans he has for you. God says, I have wonderful things in store for you. Do not be held in bondage by your past. Do not be held in bondage and in jail because you made a stupid mistake yesterday, last week, last year, a decade ago, five decades ago. Do not hold yourself in bondage. Do not let Satan hold you in bondage. Jesus came to break the bondage. He came to break the chains and to let his grace be evident in us. And if he could forgive Peter for denying him three times, a man who walked with him for three years, who saw the miracles, who proclaimed, you are the Christ, 
But when time really came, I don't know him. I don't know that man. Blankety blank blank blank. I told you I don't know that man. If Jesus could forgive him and find purpose for him, because his grace is awesome, there is purpose for us as well, for you and me. God's grace is greater than all of our sins. God's grace is greater than anything we have done. Peter was ashamed. He let Jesus down. He let his co-workers and his church down. See, our regrets should lead to remorse. And that's the right response because we know what we've done against the holy God. But when we're, front, when we're confronted by grace, understand that his grace won't leave us in our regret. This morning, Jesus says the same words to you as he did to Peter. Feed my sheep. Follow me. Put the past aside. Put your past behind. Follow me. Love me with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Follow me. Because my grace is greater than your screw-ups. My grace is greater than your mistakes. My grace is greater than your past. My grace is greater than your future. My grace is greater than you. Because God is greater. And we serve a great and mighty God who wants to redeem us from our past. Redeem us from our sins. Are we going to let our Past mistakes destroy our life? Or are you going to let them become the trophy of God's grace in your life? Think about your past. Think about your mistakes. Think about those things that you look at and you cringe. Those things that make you cringe when you think of your, of your life. And it's different from you than it is for me. But think of those things that make you cringe. Could be an attitude. Could be an action. Whatever it is. Those things in your life that you go, ah. Oh, God, can you really use me? Can you really? And God says, I want to use you. I want to make you a trophy that I set on my wall. You know, the Broncos and all these teams, they fight for a little piece of gold that they set up there. Look, we won the Super Bowl. Look, we won this championship. Look, we won this. We got a little hockey stick. We got a baseball. We got whatever. A little tiny piece of plastic that we remember the things. God says, you're worth so much more. Let me take you and I'm put you up on top of my shelf up here so the whole world can see it. Because my grace is greater. Are you ready to become a trophy of God's grace? To put your past behind you and let God walk with you into the future. I love Romans 6.14. Sin shall no longer be your master. But let's read it together. Romans 6.14 For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Can we personalize it? Where it says your, put my. Let's try again. Romans 6.14 For sin shall no longer be my master for I am not under law but under grace. Can we claim that today? 
Can we claim that today? That I am no longer a slave to sin. God is my master. Jesus is my master. I am full of his grace. I am a trophy of his. And he's going to show off to the whole world. He's going to show off in heaven and say, Look at this idiot! <laughs> Look at what he's done! But he's mine. I love him. Can you walk out of here this morning claiming in victory, putting your past behind you and say, God, I want to walk forward this week in victory and let you be my master to put sin behind me and walk with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength to love you with all that I am, to walk in you with everything that I have, with all of my power, all of my strength, and let you reign in me and in my family, in my job, period. Because I want to be a trophy of God's grace. Can we walk out here this morning claiming victory, not letting Satan find us in defeat, saying, God, I want to live in your grace. Maybe bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. There's some people here this morning. You've been in bondage for years. You've been in bondage for weeks. You've been in bondage for days. You're letting Satan tell you that you're worthless. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God's grace is greater than Satan's peewee voice. This morning, I want to pray for you. And if you would say, Pastor, I need to be free from this bondage. I want to be free from the ugliness of sin in my life. I want to be free from that which has shackled me. And I want to experience God's grace as I walk out here this morning. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? All around the room. Thank you. Thank you. I want to be free from the sin. I want to be free from that which has shackled me for all these years and walk forward in God's grace this morning because His grace is greater. Raise your hand up this morning so I can pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See, God's getting ready to do a work in this church. He's doing a work in your lives and He wants to see you walk in victory, not shackled by your mistakes not bound by sin, not letting the enemy speak lies into your head, into your heart. To walk out here and know that you are a child of God and His grace is greater than all of our sin. Lord Jesus, this morning I pray for those that raise their hands. Lord, if they were held high or down low, you saw their hands. Lord, let your grace be so evident in their lives that the sin that is kept them in bondage all these years, the, the frustration and the anger at themselves. And when I pray for the touch, as you touch the leper, the touch in their lives this morning, the call that they might hear your voice as you just said, Zacchaeus, come down. This morning you're calling that name and saying, come and follow me. Maybe they're like Peter and they've denied you. Denied you by trying to, maybe not openly like Peter did, but totally denying, but maybe they've just not said, not spoken up when they should have. Lord, I pray that 
that we would look at our mistakes and allow you to redeem us back into your presence this morning. And we can walk out of here in victory, claiming our rights as a child of God, walk in power, full of the Holy Spirit, knowing that you are going before us. Understand that you have taken our sins and you've cast them as far as the east is from the west. And that we are still called your children. Lord God, free us. Free us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing a final song this morning. Go ahead and stand. If you want to come